Hi, I'm Tracy. And I'm Alaman. Welcome to Bring It All Back. It seems like we get news about a new reboot or revival every week. And as television and film lovers, we are here to talk about as many of them as we can. What's coming back, what we hope will return, and what should absolutely not return. That is before they bring it all back. I'm so excited you guys are back. So welcome back to Bring It All Back. How are you feeling, Tracy? I'm feeling, I still feel like I'm adjusting to, well, I feel like every day is an adjustment during quarantine. So uh, I think once we kind of got that first episode knocked out, I feel definitely a little bit more back in the habit of things. Got it, got it. So what have you been watching or rewatching? Uh, lately, I mean, I'm still making my way through the West Wing, although now my sister and I have realized that we're making our way through it at too quick of a pace because we were hoping it would last us to the end of quarantine, but it looks like we may finish it sooner, so I'm going to have to find anything to uh, rewatch. I just started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, though, and I haven't seen it before. I've seen like a couple episodes, but I've never actually watched it, so it's, people love it, and so that's on my that's on my watch list right now. How about you? What have I been watching? I checked out Peacock, and they have a lot of, like, the Blue Skies USA programming, like the Covert Affairs and the White Collars. Although I'm not sure White Collar is on there, but, like, that era of USA network television. And there's a show called Necessary Roughness that I used to love. And so it's, like, three seasons. It's about a woman who is a therapist, and her husband cheats on her, so she needs to, like, go back out into the workforce and she stumbles on this like new career being the therapist for athletes and I just loved it it really is like the epitome of like what that programming was back then even though it was like one of the later ones in that era um so yeah I was like revisiting the good old times when shows were fun and airy and light and not (laughs) about you know horrible terrible darkness and foolishness but yeah so that's what I was watching um, do you like Peacock? I've been thinking about signing up for it because I was going to start rewatching Will and Grace, like the old school, like the original Will and Grace, but I hate Hulu so much. And just I hate the interface of Hulu. I don't hate Hulu's programming, but I've been having issues with Hulu's interface. And I think Will and Grace is on, like the whole series is on Peacock, right? I, I believe so. I try to keep as much distance from Will and Grace at all times as possible. No shade. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's on there. They wouldn't make it without without that. Um, it has a lot of like fun older shows. Um, there's some seasons of The Bad Girls Club on there, which is right up my street. That was my show. There's not as much newer programming, but, you know, check out the new stuff, revisit some old stuff. I think there's like a free tier that you can check out with ads maybe. Nice. Okay. So now we're going to move on to this week's Love It or Leave It. Um, I'll have you kick things off, Tracy. What's on your agenda today? All right. So love it or leave it. I was looking at the shows that are starting to come back into production amidst all of the COVID stuff. And uh, one of those shows is the Supermarket Sweep reboot, which I feel like has gotten its sort of second wave since the original Supermarket Sweep went onto Netflix. Mm -hmm. And like, I see it all over TikTok and people are always talking about it because it's just like this fun, wholesome, kind of silly reality show with no stakes, not reality show, game show with like very low stakes essentially. Um, but it's fun. It's got your like prices right kind of elements to it. But uh, Leslie Jones is hosting this new reboot and they went into production or kicked back up production. And I know that they originally greenlit this reboot back in like 2017. 
but I think it's on schedule to premiere this fall. So in a couple months, I'm guessing. But um, that is something that I'm interested in seeing. I'm going to put a little love it next to it. A lot of the, I think they're raising money for the LA food banks as well uh, through this program. So I think I'm excited to see it. I don't know. How about you? Her energy is going to be a good fit for that show. I think the mm-hmm. original has its own kind of vibe. And I think Leslie's vibe will be different, but in a good way. The only thing I don't like about it, and that this has this has nothing to do with the actual show, is that during the Emmy nominations broadcast, they had her kind of, you know, running things or with the other stars that were announcing nominations via, you know, video chat. And just like her like big ball of energy vibe that early in the morning was just like, I know y'all want to get the ball rolling on promo for this show, but let's take a beat it was like very early in the morning for me but in watching that and then you know somebody meant i don't i can't remember who it was but somebody mentioned to me like the connection to the new show then i was like oh but this vibe will fit the show i mean i don't know that i need it in this instance this early in the morning on a day where i'm like trying to live tweet actual emmy nominations but for the actual tv show i was like this could work so i'm gonna go with love it as well yeah, it's, she's got enough energy for the type of show that Supermarket Sweep is, so I'm excited. <laughs> okay, how about you, Alman? What's your love-it-or-leave-it inquiry this week? My pick is going to be the Mortal Kombat movie. So we're coming up on the 25th anniversary of the original film. And so I've been thinking about it a lot more because it's it's slated for next year, but I mean, who knows with everything happening. Um, what's interesting about it, to me at least, is when the first movie came out, it was based off of characters from the first two games. They told their stories really well, and that franchise has just kind of grown since. I mean, we're up to like almost, what, maybe a dozen games at this point? The original film had this sense of humor, and I think now we have this tendency to have like a stark storytelling, but... I am interested to see what it looks like 25 years later, what their take is like, which characters they use. Nice. I am excited about the cast of it because you've got Ludi Lin, you have Louis Tan, uh, who else you have? Hiroyuki Sonata. I feel like it's got like a really strong cast, so that can lend itself well to um, getting a new kind of hype around the movie. I For think. sure. Do you have another love it or leave it? I do. I feel like I've blocked out a lot of the news updates around this, but I'm just going to pull it out there for love it or leave it because I know how I feel about it. Um, Disney is rebooting Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, which to me is a little odd of a choice. Well, not odd of a choice because it made a ton of money for Disney, but it made a ton of money for Disney back in the early 2000s when I feel like there was a lot of hype and desire around this kind of storytelling, right? I mean... I think the original Pirates film came out, like the first one came out in 2003, 2004, I want to say. But, you know, that's the Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, Keira Knightley one. Uh, And then there's been like five um, sequels or or something to it. And now they're bringing back the series, although I don't believe it's going to include Jack Sparrow because I don't think they want to touch the Johnny Depp connection. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Just the fact that they're uh, doing another one, maybe I kind of ignored how successful the following four were from the original but i don't know if in 
the year 2020, we need another Pirates of the Caribbean movie, but uh, that's just me. I would leave it. How about you? <laughs> you know what's interesting while you're bringing this up? It's that it kind of ties into what our main conversation is going to be and like how I feel about like reboots and revivals, which we'll get to in a second. But I do want to say the only thing I really, really hope for is that they create a new series that isn't built around one person. I think the idea of like adventures at sea and pirates and adventure and treasure hunts and all that stuff could be really fun and interesting. I just don't know that they want to create, I hope that they don't create another like film series franchise around a single person because then your movies live or die on that one character. If you want to make something that's different, that's the change to make for this. Having a collection of characters, a great cast of characters, can give it some legs. And I think that's the chance that they have right now is to put some forethought into it and plan things out better. And I'm not trying to go like all, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but like think about it a little bit. And then you can have something. Whether people like that something or not is to be seen. But that's my only gut reaction to that news. I think that's completely fair. I believe Disney is working on two different versions right now of Reboot. And one of them, uh, I think the rumor is that Margot Robbie is attached to it. So I would be interested to see if they, you know, I think they were trying to do this with Keira Knightley's character back in the original film where they wanted to turn her from like the prim and proper lady into like a badass pirate. And I agree with you that I think building an entire series. Now, granted, I think when they made the first movie, they were not expecting the success that it got and it kicked off all of these like Mm -hmm. Disney ride adaptations into films kind of um, works that they were trying to do. But I think the biggest problem with Pirates is not only did they end up building everything off of this one actor and one character, but then they kind of reversed it and took a lot of the elements of the film and put it into the Disney ride to the point where now like, I don't know, there's like this weird line that blends between like, you, you can't really see the line between where the movie starts and the ride ends. And you've got it wrapped around someone who is uh, fairly controversial. And it would be tough for them to reboot it without then having to go in and completely change the ride if these new movies do well, because then people who are so attached to the original or know the ride really well are going to watch the new ones and be like, wait, where's Jack Sparrow? He's like the star of the ride. And it's, I think it's, they've, they've kind of tangled themselves into a mess with it. So I don't know if this is the right time to bring out a new kind of reboot or a, a movie in this universe. That is very valid. So now I think we can transition to our main discussion, which is kind of what I've labeled the state of reboots and revivals. So basically our thinking was, you know, we're back now. And for anyone that listened to our first couple of episodes, we were diving deep into different reboots and revivals and like, you know, looking at them from a franchise perspective and how well they did and what we thought about them and all those sorts of things. And I think with us coming back, the benefit is a lot of those shows and movies that we were covering in our new section have now fizzled out in development or have made it to a screen somewhere and did well or have not has not done well you know we have just kind of like more info and so before we go back to in future episodes diving deep into specific reboots and revivals i kind of wanted to give the listeners just a sense of like where we stand in terms of what we think works, what we think doesn't work, where we are, you know, aligned, where we disagree, which is, you know, fair enough, um, with the different things that are out there. Because I think it's important 
to see where we're coming from. And also, I think it's a fun way to kind of look back at what we did before, because a lot of those, you know, news items have, you know, an answer, a definitive period at the end of that sentence, whether it's good news, bad news, or, you know, still to be determined if it's on the air. So I'm going to get the ball rolling with Nikita, a show that was on the CW for four seasons, a wonderful spy drama, which is right up my street, that starred Maggie Q as well, Nikita. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up was it's based off of a TV show and a movie. Nikita is about a woman who is, you know, out here living her badass spy life and discovers that the organization she's working for is evil. The original movie had her as a criminal who was then kind of forced to work for this organization. And the TV show had her be an innocent woman that was accused of a crime and then found out she was working for an evil organization. But I think the smart thing about the CW show, um, which launched almost 10 years ago now, was that it combined the best of both worlds. Maggie Hughes Nikita is a criminal committed a crime. She does discover she's working for an evil organization, but the show begins with her out in the world trying to take them down. And so I think this works for a bunch of reasons. And so to be clear, when I'm talking about things working, I mean like the idea at the center of the project, not like, you know, shows go off the rails, are really great, are terrible, whatever. But my point is that like the idea for the show worked because it took the best of what was done in the past and pushed the character and the story into a new direction. And I think that's a smart way to evolve the story. Right, they're not just taking the exact same characters and like plucking them out and putting them into whatever year with like the same kind of mannerisms and the same backstory. Like the recipe, if there is one, is to decide what's good about it and not try to recreate it, but like to do something new. So, Tracy, do you have a reboot you would like to discuss that worked? Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple here. I, you know, One reboot that I really love that I don't think we talked about, did, we didn't talk about it when we were first doing the podcast, but it's One Day at a Time. This is it. This is life, the one you get to go and have a Which was originally on Netflix and then now is on Pop TV for its latest season. I don't know if they've finished airing all the episodes that they've done, but they, their production was interrupted um, due to COVID. But it was on Netflix, got canceled, and the Pop TV picked it up. It's a reboot of the 70s sitcom series that um, originally had aired on CBS. And um, I think it really worked because as we kind of identified, or as you kind of identified um, in our last episode, and then even just in the conversation we had, it really picked up on current day themes. And it not only updated it for like a family situation of storytelling in the 2000s or 2010s, but it updated the cast so that it was a lot more diverse. Um, and it just was it just felt like something to me that was a fresh take on it, that you didn't need to be fully familiar with the series from the 70s to appreciate the the Netflix reboot. Um, and you could, I think, enjoy it. And there were, you know, a lot of the characters, you have elements that are carried into the new version, but it just feels like a show that could exist on its own as an original story without it needing to be rebooted if you again if you weren't familiar with the original 70s sitcom so i think one day at a time really worked i'm really glad that pop tv saved it um i think that they touch on a lot of important topics in the 21st century like talk about immigration they talk about um lgbtq issues they talk about 
drug use. So there's all these sort of elements that they bring in into the sitcom kind of a standard that uh, just, I think, plays really well. So I, I think that one is one that really works. Yeah, I love One Day at a Time. I think there's this thing people do where they just change the race or the gender of the characters, the center of something, and they're like, oh, it's new. And I think One Day at a Time does a very excellent job of mining the stories of a marginalized community, telling them authentically, but also being super funny and also finding ways that they are relatable and that they aren't relatable. And they kind of like mine those differences in really great ways with some of the character dynamics they have on the show. And I think that's a really great example of what you can do when you, you know, just take a show and flip it. It's like not just flipping it on its surface, but letting the stories that are possible because of the choice you make yeah, I think when people tend to reboot things, either they go too extreme of being like, oh, we got to change everything, and then they write themselves into these weird corners, or they try to copy and paste from the original material. But I think shows like One Day at a Time, and then the other one I had on my list was Babysitter's Club, which I mentioned in the last episode, Then I think the Netflix reboot of uh, the most recent iteration of Babysitter's Club does something very similar in that they're able to update, uh, update the show and its plots, but still stay true to the original material in a way that like if you were a fan of the books or even the original movie from 1995 like it still feels familiar enough that you you understand kind of the world you walk into i think that that formula like you identify for doing a reboot in the 21st century is kind of what it's like a delicate balance right because i mean i think about films like a star is born which has been done in many different decades and adaptations and yet it always kind of I think for some people feels very fresh because it's it's told from a perspective that feels like you're not just copying and pasting from the original source material I mean we kind of have danced around what doesn't work so like what kind of what kind of reboots or um what things don't work when you're rebooting a show one thing is this idea that everything needs to be dark is just a no-go for me i think there are some things like for example if you have like a fun show that's about like a great fun supernatural creature right let's say werewolf vampire which there is an innate darkness in there that you can use and that to me like makes sense like whether it works or not but like the idea like the train of thought makes sense but just like, oh, these are nice kids roaming around their high school. And then it's like, let's throw murder into this mix. And it's like, why why are they like walking through the woods, dodging serial killers? I feel like the idea to just like, it needs to be different. Let's make it dark. And I get that there's there's been some success there. But I just don't understand the need to make everything dark because then everything's the same. So that's my number one thing. And the the one show I wanted to highlight, which is a show that no one watched, but still the fact that it happened makes me so angry, is Minority Report. In 2015, Fox, you know, rebooted Minority Report as a TV show. Now, for those who didn't watch Minority Report, go watch the movie. Essentially, it's this very, like, interesting, visual, cool sci-fi world where, like, people who can see crimes before they happen are helping authorities stop those crimes so in that world the movie tells the story of tom cruise's character who is one person who gets in trouble because of the system that they have created it's a very specific story in a very interesting world 
So what Fox decides is they're going to take all the interesting stuff about this world and shove it into a procedural box because that's what people want. And that's the other thing that doesn't make any sense to me. You have a thing that works out in the world, in this case procedurals, and you take an interesting story and you shove it into that format. It's not going to work. And it didn't. And after 10 episodes, it was canceled. Essentially, one of the people, the precogs who could see um, crimes before they happen, is being hunted. The, the government has dismantled the program. They're using all this like weird surveillance equipment in place of the precogs because what they want is to be able to control the technology, which is not really possible with people. And so they're hunting the precogs, and but he still is seeing all these crimes. So he teams up with a detective to solve crimes. If you wanted to give this cop a crime to solve, and then she finds the precog, and then they have to work together to get out of this jam. I mean, maybe it's a movie, but it's also an idea for a show, right? So they basically turned it into like a procedural. They absolutely, exactly what they did. They took this fantastic, interesting, unique sci-fi world, and they just shoved it into a box, and that box blew up because this isn't it, folks. It's not. And so for me, it's like, I do not mind a reboot. And to circle back to Nikita for one second, the, the other reason why I picked it is because it debuted in 2010. This is before the onslaught of news. I think we kind of lump reboots and revivals into this like big cluster of, we want new things. And the reality is, in there, there are new things. And so I think that's why I wanted to have this conversation also. It's because, yeah, Minority Report, is there a version of that could continue? Sure. Was this it? Absolutely not. But I think it's about figuring out what was interesting about it and then deciding whether or not there's more story or a different story or a new take or some part of the world you can develop. Be clear about what you're changing. Be clear about why it's interesting. And, you know, keep your fingers and toes crossed. I think it's interesting when uh, people take a film and turn it into a TV series, because I think it does fall into that dangerous realm of like, oh, here's this one thing about the film that people liked. Let's make 20 episodes of it. And then it feels a little bit like, well, that's not what I signed up for. Absolutely. Oh, so are you good on reboots or do you want to move on to the good world of revivals? I do have a reboot that I don't think works. And that, okay, well, it's The Soup, which I feel like did not need to be rebooted in 2020 and now to be fair i'm judging the suit based off of the two episodes they were able to air on e before uh they kind of got shut down by the pandemic i don't know if they plan to bring it back because to my knowledge it didn't get great feedback um because the original soup ran for 12 years on e it was hosted by joel McHale. it aired at a pre-meme sort of internet basically like memes existed uh, you were really starting to get a lot of people on Twitter. I mean, Instagram wasn't around, but like when it started, and Joel McHale has talked about this, but when the soup started, they were such a small team that like he was basically having to watch 12 hours of TV, all the reality shows, and write those jokes and cut those clips. And, you know, it was like a more of a late night kind of sarcastic uh, look at trashy TV and things that would go viral, right? Um, and I think it worked for that time. Like, I remember in college, that's how I bonded with a lot of my doormates and friends was that we would stay up late and watch The Soup instead of doing homework or going to sleep or whatever. And I feel like Joel McHale's uh, sense of humor and like the kind of his style just worked really well with that 
snarky sort of commentary on these reality shows that it was clear that the team also had an affection for because they were just so silly, yet they said something about our culture um, in a very unique and special way. And it was also funny that it was on E!, which was making fun of a lot of shows on E!, including the Kardashians. And, you know, the soup went off the air, I believe it was in 2015. It was around the same time the community ended. And um, uh, the the sort of talking line out of a lot of people was that it ended because there was a new president of the network and they were not happy with the constant poking at the Kardashians and that Chris wasn't happy about it. So they eventually just kind of killed it for them, even though it was still pulling in ratings and doing very well. But uh, they decided to bring back the soup with a different host um, and yeah, basically do the same kind of clip show format. And I don't think that that necessarily is needed or really works in 2020, which you saw in 2018 when Netflix hired Joel McHale to do essentially the soup, but on Netflix. It's just that the, the these days, as well as the last couple of years, I don't think you have a need for people to sit down and watch, or there's not a need for a half hour show that will pull some of the silliest clips of the week and have someone make jokes about them because that's essentially what the internet is now. Um, you know, you can find that stuff on YouTube and trending on Twitter and on TikTok. And I just don't think that there is a need for it the way that there was an appetite for it back in like the 2000s and the early 2010s. Um, and I just think that when you have someone who hosted it for 12 years and it, they become so synonymous with that style of the show, I think it's really hard to reboot it and call it the same thing and use the same premise because people are just not going to be, I think, that interested in, in seeing a new take on a clip show format. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think The Soup isn't a show that would work in the current climate. I think, one, the internet moves so much faster than a show can. And they host the conversation themselves. Like we don't need people to tell us what's funny online. And with reality TV, like we're doubling down on like the weird and wild. I think with things like, you know, the circle. You have your like Tiger Kings. You have your Married at First Sights. There's all of these like different wacky shows that are just from a viewer perspective, it's funny. So we don't need people to tell us like here's that funny moment because like we're deciding what's funny we're watching shows that are essentially making fun of themselves with commentary from hosts and like all these different avenues and so i don't know that we need to show collecting those clips to tell us what's like funny and happening when we've already moved on to the next thing yeah i agree it kind of feels like you know what worked for the soup which itself was kind of a reboot already of talk soup and then since has spawned a lot of um you know they've done different little web series i think the dish is considered a uh, a version of the soup. Um, you know, back in 2004 when the soup debuted, like there weren't things that were going viral at the rate that they do now. And some of the things that go viral, you're kind of like, do I need to see this? I don't know. Like I I really truly think that if you're going to do something like the soup in 2020, putting it on E or putting just putting it on TV is maybe not the best format. Like I don't know who you're trying to attract to watch it. Alrighty, and so now it is revival time. So do you want to kick us off with a revival that either worked or didn't work? You know, I'm looking at our notes, and you have a revival on here that worked that I don't think worked, and I think we should talk about it, and it's Veronica Mars. <laughs> Let's do it. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of 
what okay so we did a whole episode on veronica mars which is on our feed you can check it out um i've i think that it worked up until maybe i'm just so mad about the ending i think that's truly it i was so excited about so many things and i feel this way about gilmore girls too i was excited about so many things when it came to the um you know uh bringing us back into that world and hearing these characters and their voice and these new plots and things like that. And yeah, maybe I just hated the ending so much that it all got wiped out. <laughs> no, and that's fair enough. And we can talk about the ending a little bit if you want. But I think for me, it was more of a, the idea for the show kind of thing. And so people loved Veronica Mars. I loved Veronica Mars. But it ended without giving us closure. It wasn't a show that ended and they were like, actually, we're going to bring him back anyway. You know, it really had... There was a story left to be told with Veronica Mars. Also, we wa- a lot of us watched it as teenagers, and then she grew up and we grew up, and like it was a nice kind of reconnecting with someone, kind of seeing that growth and seeing whether it mirrored our own growth or not. And like there was that part of it. I just feel like it was a good example of what you should look at when you want to revive something. It's like there is specifically story with the characters on the show left to tell. You're not bending and twisting things to get you to a place where you can come back together again. But with Veronica Mars, it was a type of show that had it ended, it would be hard to probably bring back, but it didn't. It just kind of fizzled away with her, you know, year at college and that FBI spinoff video or whatever you want to call it. But I think where it ended, and I think the fan kind of, crowdsourced movie spoke to that like people had an appetite for it and there was a story left to be told with these people because it ended abruptly and i think in that way it worked um now as for the execution of the revival that's another story and people feel very strongly about that ending (laughs) right and uh, you know as did we which again you could go back to one of our old episodes and listen to a scream about it um no i think that's that's fair i Yes, I was excited about the revival and felt like there was more story that needed to be told. Um, I think when it comes to just my thinking of like what didn't work, I'm stuck on the execution of it because I'm very like, I think my concern now is that, and this is the same that I feel about Gilmore Girls, is that if they were to keep doing more of it, I feel like maybe we maybe we don't need more of it because I'm mad about the ending. This is where we disagree. I can only accept that ending if we keep telling if Veronica more. Mars stories. If okay. if we keep telling Veronica Mars stories, yeah. Because that ending without more is just cruel. But That's true. If it's if there's more, then the reasons that they did it, whether you agree or disagree, makes sense. Because I do agree. You can't have her go off and be happy and still tell the stories that you want to tell. If they were going to go off and be happy then that's the end. That's like the bow at the end of the story, and then you shouldn't make any more. I don't know that it needed to go down the way in which it did, but if there isn't any more, then it's like, damn, y'all did that for what? That's, no, that's a good point. <laughs> um, And then for a revival that did not work, I'm going to go back to our good old, well, your good old friend, not my good old friend, Will and Grace. <laughs> Okay, well, I, here, I want to say, I don't I don't think the revival worked, but I, we, we'll talk about this in a second, but why, why don't you explain why you felt like it didn't work? <laughs> Here's my thing. The show made strides, had queer characters in the center of it. It, it. it did a lot of good things. 
But even then, at times, the story and the storytelling was tired and problematic at best. I remember I did a rewatch when it was like on Hulu or something, wherever it, wherever it was streaming first. Uh, I think it was Hulu, and I rewatched it. And I, when I tell you, I waited until I saw a person of color, not just speak, until I saw the face of a person of color, and it was a quite some time. So my point is, while it was, it was what it was, right? You know, it ended, and we were talking about how the. How queer television kind of moved forward, even if it was one tiny step at a time. But it was in the past. And I think a lot of the times when there's news, right, you're like, who asked for this? And the truth is, most shows have fans. Most movies have fans. I would probably say all. Oh, you could find someone that liked something. You know what I mean? Like for everything that's out there, there was an audience, whether it was small or big. Somebody watched it. The truth is, what we need to be asking is, do we need this? And the answer for Will and Grace to me is no, I don't. Because the thing about it is, even in execution, it didn't do much else. It wasn't doing anything new, you know? And y'all, and also, they had a full-ass series finale. Like, the show ended. Let it end. But doing more of the same without exploring new ground makes no sense. And it also makes it clear, no, we don't need this. Yeah, I think when, and this is the difference between, say, Veronica Mars and a show like Will and Grace, is that when a show has closure the way that Will and Grace had closure, like it didn't get canceled prematurely, it didn't get uh, derailed by some scandal or anything like that, like to take it off the air. When a show has closure and you feel like it gave closure to its characters, to bring them back and then to essentially undo all of those years of closure you felt for those characters because within the first episode of the revival, they were putting Will and Grace back in that same apartment and like kind of going on the same type of stories and adventures, which you got to look at the context of where we are, like you said, in 2020. And for everything that Will and Grace did back in the 90s and 2000s, that made it so uh, groundbreaking. And in the lineup it was in on NBC Thursday nights, like I think that the nostalgia of it the nostalgia of the necessity of a revival wore off pretty quickly. And even like, I think I watched, I mean, we watched the revival for, um, or we watched the, yeah, we watched the revival for our show, our podcast episode that we did about it. Uh, but I definitely did not watch anything past. I don't think I even finished the first season of the revival. And at that point when I was watching it, I was like, am I just watching it for like the fan service of it? But like, for me, I'm not, I'm not attached to these characters. I don't care about these characters and what they're doing in the year 2020. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I don't want to harp on them too much. I'm sure people like them, but I just like, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? No, but I agree. I think that's the difference. And I think that's kind of like the period at the end of the sentence that is this episode. It's like, you look at what you're doing and you've got to think it through. I think, especially now, I think compared to when we were doing it originally, when we did the show in the past, it's like there it was just news and news and news. And now you're seeing an execution of these things. But I think from the idea standpoint, it's like you mix everything up together then. And I think that's my biggest takeaway. It's like if you look at all of that news like we were doing back when we started the first episode of the podcast, you're seeing like, this is a really bad idea. This is a really good idea. This is interesting. This could be something. This definitely can't. I don't want to see this again. And it all get mixed up together because there's so much of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one genre where reboots have always 
in my opinion, worked for me, or just revivals. To mention a revival, a couple of revivals that I thought did work. They kind of fall into that, like, children family show genre. So, like, I thought the Girl Meets World revival of Boy Meets World was good, and I enjoyed Fuller House, even though I know that's very controversial. <laughs> but I think there's this idea of seeing a character that you loved as a kid grow up and like you want to check in on them a little bit and I think that's where Will and Grace didn't work because it felt like the characters regressed in some ways and that they didn't grow up and change or evolve and it didn't add a new dimension at all whereas like really you were forced to see the characters in Girl Meets World and Fuller House grow up just because those actors are a lot older now Um, and for me I feel like that is something that's a genre that ends up working because it's like you want to like I said, you want to check in. It's almost like checking in with your old classmates or old friends from elementary school to like see what's up. Yeah. And so, well, before we move on to our final segment, I want everyone who's listening to let us know what revivals and reboots you loved or really, really didn't like. All right. So now we have our closing segment, Hidden Gems. Tracy, do you have a hidden gem you want to highlight? Yeah. Yeah. So what, you know, I was thinking about, I tend to think about Hidden Gem as like, oh, what do I want to see rebooted? But I do think that there is a revival that I have been wanting to see. And this falls under that uh, label of like things we never got closure on. So I think it was on ABC. It was a sitcom, not really a sitcom. It was a half hour comedy called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Did you ever watch it? Yes. I love (laughs) Kristen Ritter. Loved it. I loved Don't Trust the Bee. And I watched it when it was on Hulu, I did not watch it when it was originally on TV, which was part of its downfall because the ratings were low, but it was such a cult hit. I'm a huge fan of Ninochka Khan. Um, and I, especially because I had just spent three years doing a Dawson's Creek podcast and in the midst of it, I was rewatching. Um, actually, I think I watched Don't Trust the Bee before I had really started doing the Dawson's Creek podcast I was doing, but I had seen the show and James Vanderbeek plays this overly exaggerated version of himself. And I thought it was so funny. It's such a smart show. I mean, you could really tell Ninochka Khan's style of writing and directing and producing through Don't Trust the Bee, which, you know, she cut her teeth on shows like Family Guy. So you got a lot of callbacks and flashbacks and really long running kind of jokes that are so insular and kind of silly. But I thought it was such a smart, fun show, and it definitely did not get the ending it deserved. In fact, its second season, I don't think, aired in its entirety, and it aired out of order. I think in order to watch it, like, in its proper order, it's not even it's not even ordered properly, I think, on Hulu right now. But I think on Wikipedia, there's a guide of, like, how to actually watch it as it was intended. But I feel like that that's a show that I would love to see come back and uh, give us the closure that we were really hoping for. <laughs> That out-of-order nonsense is just disrespectful. It was so disrespectful. They didn't even give it a chance. They shoved it into, like, whatever time slot they could and then just aired random episodes. And then they never, again, they never even aired the full second season before they canceled it. (laughs) And so speaking of two-season shows, my hidden gem is True Calling, which starred, you know, Elijah Dushku, Buffy's Faith, um, as a medical student who had the ability to kind of travel back in time and prevent someone's death. Um, and so in a world of many, many crime shows, I think this is one that didn't necessarily like center police officers. Um, it kind of gave the power of actually the storytelling and the investigating to someone outside of law enforcement, which I, it was just an area of like crime storytelling that I really, really like. 
But the reason I mention this is because it's the reason that we didn't get a Faith spinoff. And if we're not going to get a Faith spinoff, I would like more True Calling. Because the truth of the matter is, like, the cast, it was Elijah Dushku, Zach, Zach Gilifanakis, A.J. Cook, who was on Criminal Minds for a long time, Matt Balmer, I mean, Jason Priestley. There was a lot of people on the show. Um, and it was just like a fun supernatural show. I think Eliza brought that kind of like faith against the establishment energy to her character, True. Um, and I think it was just like a, f- a fun supernatural crime show with Eliza Dushku, who we need on our TV again. Um, and so that is my two cents of the hidden gem for this week. Uh, that is a very good pick. Um, I also think that you're right. If it, they're going to pull an actor from a project, you want to see you, you want their next projects to succeed, right? And True Calling was a good show. I think my sister might still have it on DVD somewhere. Anyways, that is a whole aside. We we'll talk about that another time. Um, Alman, thank you for uh, chatting with me today about the state of reboots and revivals. Like Alman had mentioned, if you all have a show, franchise, series, movie that you would want to see rebooted or revived and have any ideas of like how to make that work in 2020 let us know uh you can follow us on twitter at b-i-a-b show you can email us at bring it all back show at gmail.com um and then make sure you're subscribed to our podcast it's we're everywhere apple Podcasts, spotify anywhere you get your podcast you can find us um, and make sure to rate and review us on apple Podcasts if you're there uh we'll talk to you in the next episode alvin talk to you soon bye So excited you guys are back.